A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got James Whitemore. He's the Chief Marketing Officer at NetApp. And on the show today, we talk about the transformation that NetApp has gone through over the last number of years, going from a traditional storage company to a cloud-based storage company and what that means in terms of how they go to market, the change to the sales processes, as well as marketing transformation overall. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with James Whitemore. James, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Well, I know you grew up in the UK. Uh, did you always have a career in technology in your future? Always grew up kind of like you know, playing with technology, pulling old telephones apart, old televisions and radios, and grew up very close to an ICL manufacturing plant and was fascinated by that. And yeah, so I've always wanted to work in technology, that's for sure. Never, never quite had a view of where I would be, but um, uh, but always knew that I wanted to be in technology. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about your background and just career path, if you will, because you are now the chief marketing officer at NetApp. Yeah, you know, I've had a you know really fun and interesting career, that's for sure. So, you know, right out of university, I went to university in the UK. 
right out of university, uh, started uh, work for a company called Cellnet, who were one of the uh, very original mobile phone carriers in the UK, basically selling mobile phone technology. And that was an you know, interesting experience. Uh, young kid, feet on the street, knocking on doors around the city of London, selling mobile phones in the late 80s. You know, like, certainly teaches you a thing or two about selling techniques, that's for sure. But from there, joined a company called Storage Technology, which is based here in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, got to uh, shift to selling basically massive tape libraries. And that was my first uh, experience into the storage industry. And then from Storage Tech, went to IBM, where I was a brand manager uh, on some of their storage products. And from IBM to Sun, Sun Microsystems at Sun, got to the opportunity to live and work in Japan for a few years, leading parts of the selling organization around the APAC region. And then final job at Sun was CMO of the storage division. And then after that, decided I had enough of big tech and went to do a, a few startup companies in unified communications and, and then back into the storage world. And the last startup was a company called Solidfire, who NetApp acquired. And that's how I ended up here at NetApp. And uh, I'm now proud to be the CMO at NetApp. I love it. I love it. I remember NetApp and had friends that worked there when I was living in the Research Triangle area of North Carolina. So I, I, I know that it was in storage, but I don't know the modern day definition of what NetApp does. So maybe you could tell me what, what you guys do and who you serve. Yeah, you're right. RTP, we have a big campus there, uh, several thousand people for NetApp work there. But, you know, NetApp is a 30-year-old company and the evolution has been you know, very interesting. The, the, you know, the heart of the company, we are a software company. Our value add is in the software that we develop to manage very large scale data environments. And over the last 30 years, as you can imagine, we serve just about every type of customer in every industry in every part of the world. But NetApp technology typically sits at the heart of our customers' data centers, managing very large scale block and file data environments. And we always think you know, kind of, you know, that our enduring purpose is to help our customers put data at the heart of their businesses. Whatever they do, they do it better by having access to the right data at the right time. And that's why we're here. But over the last five or six years, we've been increasingly focused on taking that technology, which is being developed and run in the world's biggest data centers, and put it inside the world's biggest cloud. So about six years ago, we started on partnerships with Microsoft Azure, with AWS, with Google Cloud, uh, with basically every large-scale uh, cloud service provider around the world, taking our technology and putting it in to their clouds. And now the world's biggest clouds really run with NetApp technology at the, uh, at the heart of it. And what that does, that allows our clients to be able to move data between the data centers into the clouds when they need to, how they need it, migrate applications from data center to cloud, start building applications in the world's biggest clouds using technology that they are very familiar with from their data centers. So really kind of like, you know, uh, we serve uh, customers in every industry group and it's all about helping them put data at the heart of their business, have access to that data, regardless of whether it's on-premise or in a cloud, when they need it and how they need it. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I'm going to date myself here a little bit, but data solutions used to be these big RFP, massive 
procurement exercises, if you will. And I can only imagine shifting to the cloud, um, as many companies have over the past, that has to pretty much change a lot in terms of your business. But like, what what are some of the big things that you feel like you've had to adjust as, as a company to adjust to cloud-based solutions? You're right. I mean, and it's not just the way the purchasing works that's changed. It's, you know, the technology itself has changed and how people consume data has changed so much. But, you know, for NetApp, basically over the last six years, we've had to completely reinvent the company to not only serve our uh, traditional data center type of customers, but to serve those new cloud audiences as well. Uh, we had to take a software platform that had been originally designed and architected to run in the data center and perpetual license type of environments, and basically turn it into a cloud operating system, which can work across multiple cloud platforms, extend back into the data center. It's an entirely different way of thinking about how you design and architect software. So that was a huge shift for our engineering groups. And then if you think about it, you know, kind of like cloud service providers, uh, they are the most demanding environments in the world. The concepts of kind of like you know, upgrade cycles and refresh cycles just don't exist for those people. You have to rethink the way that you build products and, uh, and architect software. And then from a go-to-market perspective, you know, our, our sales motions change completely from 20 plus years of selling to a very kind of like predictable, known audience of data center professionals to selling to an entirely new people, breed of people who consume cloud services, much more selling to a developer audience than than an IT audience, for example. And the selling motions are very, very different. The experiences they demand are very different. You know, cloud services typically are based around trials as the first introduction that people have to uh, the technology. So you have to build those concepts of trial processes into our selling motions, very, very key. So kind of like, you know, so much has changed. We've really had to rethink the, the, the way the company operates completely. Yeah. I mean, the go-to-market piece in particular, not to mention the other larger, you know, business process and technology re- redefinitions, if you will, of how you go to market, but go-to-market by itself seems like a drastic change you know like i'm frankly a little surprised that you you you're still living <laughs> <laughs> that's sometimes i'm not the most popular person with so but you know, it is such a fundamental change if you think about it enterprise technology sales have operated in a very kind of like a stable way for years and years and years. You know, typically we looked at sales cycles being measured in, you know, 90 to 120 days. And you would have a very predictable group of people engaged in the buying process. And the way that we kind of like operated between sales and marketing was very predictable. You know, marketing's job was to generate leads, to qualified leads. Those leads, once qualified, will be passed into inside sales teams to set up appointments and do some more discovery. And then once you knew everything you needed to know, you pass that opportunity out into the sales teams. And that would, you know, that process typically took somewhere between 20 and 40 days. And like, you know, that's the way the company operated. And it was all very you know, like you know, predictable. But cloud selling is so completely different. Uh, you know, that cloud audience want media access to products. They don't want to be put through a qualification process. They don't want to have to talk to someone in an inside group to uh, kind of like 
you know, qualify them and deem them worthy of having access to our products. They want answers to their questions immediately. They want access to the products immediately. They never want to see a salesperson. And you know, we've had to re-architect our selling process basically to be able to accommodate both things because we still sell in those traditional enterprise ways and being able to identify you know, what type of buyer you are and how you want to interact with us very early in the process has been absolutely key. Yeah, the sales approach, particularly, I mean, just to hear you describe it, I mean, and, and it sounds like you're still managing between kind of enterprise and this like cloud based sales approach and balancing between the two. That's a lot of complexity, frankly, to have to manage. What's been keys to success to make it through? I, I did hear earlier as you were talking about your background, you do have a sales background and maybe that aided quite a bit but I'd love to hear what you feel like has helped along the way. You know, I do, I do think that you know, my sales background does, it has been a huge part of my ability to be successful at leading marketing organizations. Because, you know, honestly, like, uh, I start everything I do with the view of what's the selling experience going to look like for that uh, customer or prospect. When do we need to get salespeople engaged? Which salespeople how, where we don't need to get salespeople engaged, how do we really drive the online type of experience? So everything I do does come from a, from a, from a salesperson's approach, that's for sure. Yeah. In terms of like envisioning where sales is needed and where it's not, it feels like, I mean, would it be a accurate characterization to say that you've got kind of a dynamic sales engine that's constantly adjusting based on the the opportunity or signals that you're seeing from the from the other side yeah totally it is really dynamic and it is all about understanding the signals you'll see our objective is as quickly as possible in the engagement process to identify what type of buying experience that person is looking for and they want to engage with specialists from around the organization do they have a lot of kind of like pre-sales technical questions that need to be answered by humans do they need engagement with traditional selling teams or basically can our ai bots do most of the work give them the information they need get them direct to trials have them sign up for a trial let them experience the product and then the customer success teams have much more of a proactive role in the selling process so really come like for me it's it's about making sure that you present the different alternative routes of engaging with us to prospect as quickly as possible kind of have them pick their own journey at any point our teams are ready as soon as they raise their hand and say hey i have a question i need to talk you know someone will be there to do that but we don't assume anymore that every customer has to go through this you know 20 to 40 day qualification process before we actually get selling teams engaged you know we had to throw away definitions of what a qualified lead was and a sales qualified lead was and an opportunity is and now we work more on kind of like triggers and alerts and engagement scores that really are kind of like giving a visibility to all the people in our selling organizations about kind of like the type of people who are engaging with us and when they may need to step in got it so that's sales now marketing Marketing must have had to shift quite as much, if not more, than sales, I would think. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over the last, really over the last couple of years, we have completely re-architected marketing organization, the marketing funding models, marketing metrics, again, stepping away from all of those things that were so embedded to us as an organization for 20 plus years of how, you know, traditional enterprise technology selling worked and really learning from software companies, from uh, the cloud native type of companies. And again, I think that's the unique skills that I brought to the table. You know, I had that enterprise experience from IBM and some microsystems, but then I went to do, went and did, you know, seven years in startup companies and built two very successful, more cloud-like um, startup companies and blending the two together is, is absolutely critical. But we basically had to reinvent the entire organization. And I think there were kind of like, you know, three key parts of that. Firstly, I had to bring in-house a lot of services which had been outsourced previously because they weren't seen as kind of like core competencies to the marketing Core competencies were things like um, you know, events and uh, running face-to-face engagements between our field selling teams and our prospects and our partners and our customers. And things like media and media buying and media planning were considered things which were context rather than core and outsourced. And to me, in these new models, those things are what are absolutely core to what you do. So we had to go build kind of like you know, all of those uh, media planning, media buying functionality in-house. We built demand centers in Bangalore, in RTP, as well as here in Boulder. And you know, that was a big part of it. And then I had to completely change the technology stack that we were using. We had a very large instance of Eloqua that was the you know the heart of the marketing technology stack. But it today, kind of like you know, two years later, that the tech stack looks very different. It's based on Marketo. Uh, there are about eighteen different platforms that we use, which are key to that. There is a ton of kind of like you know, AI, which is used for predictive modeling, both within our uh, legacy customer set and within our cloud customers, which help us uh, you know, do those kind of like predictive models and propensity models. So yeah, it's a very different tech stack. And it seems like bringing, well, one, bringing in that, those new capabilities like media, demand centers, the tech overhaul, if you will, or evolution of the tech stack. I mean, you've had to retool, I would imagine, a lot of people as well. Any insights as to like, one, I guess, how's it going? Because that's a big deal. Acquiring the tech is, is one thing, but getting to use it as, as intended um, with people managing it is another How's it going? And and have you had to bring in outside talent as well? It sounds like maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we have. We have, you know, again, and it hasn't, you know, it's taken place over the course of a number of years. But uh, basically, if I look back over the last three years, the demographics within the marketing team look very different today than they did three years ago. And like, you know, we have over you know, 30% of our employees who are what we call early in career. So new college hires, or within two years, the you know, first two years of their careers. And that's been so important to us to bring in that young talent, uh, people who are kind of like, you know, inquisitive and uh, really want to learn and experiment. And, you know, that group is you know, like you know, a, a really a big part of our ability to do new and interesting things. And we had to bring in a lot of people who understand how to use the technology. You can build a, you know, the best tech stack in the industry but if you don't have people who really know how to put it to work that's you know 
So I had a lot of people who had deep experience in um, you know, Marketo and some of the other MarTech uh, platforms that we use. So that's been a, you know, a key thing. And then the, I call it, you know, the revenue marketing teams, people who kind of like wake up in the morning and they don't think about generating leads. They think about how they uh, support a revenue requirement. And so for many of them, they're actually driving the revenue all the way through trial to close. So kind of like shifting that mentality away from lead generation to revenue uh, generation has been a, a key thing. And uh, once you start on this journey, what I've found is it's kind of self-fulfilling. You know, the people uh, who want to be a part of that and they'll stick around, they will really adapt and change their behavior, they'll learn new uh, ways they'll engage with their selling uh, peers in different ways and if they don't want to do it they kind of opt out there's enough opportunities around the industry for uh, you know legacy enterprise kind of like marketing type of uh, people so it's been a process of kind of like you know opting out or opting in and where people opt out we then have been able to rehire with the skills that we needed yeah no that makes perfect sense um especially with that much change and, and new functions frankly you're bringing in <laughs> the old school saying is get on the bus or get off the bus yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. it's as simple as that right you feel like you either want to be a part of it or you don't right well what's the marketing results so far like what what have you started to hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. See. It has been amazing to see the transformations that we've been able to drive. Uh, you know, I like to think that you know, one of the things that NetApp does is really help our customers in their digital transformations. Data is at the heart of our customers' ability to transform their business models. And you see it all around us from you know, every sector of the industry. And this, to me, what I've been doing here at NetApp, this is you know, a big part of our own digital transformation, changing the way that we sell and engage with our customers, our prospects, and our partners. And it's been so great to, you know, to see that. And some of the biggest impacts I see, you know, again, three years ago, if I looked at the uh, the average time to close from qualified opportunity to a closed deal, it was 40 plus days. Now our average is down below 10. And that, you know, includes both the the legacy enterprise selling as well as the cloud selling. But when I see things like that, it's kind of like, you know, we're having dramatic impact on our ability to convert interest into opportunity and opportunity into revenue. And I think, you know, today, kind of, um, if I look at our websites, for example, over 84% of the traffic that comes into our websites in any given month is a first time visitor to NetApp, which for a 
a 30-year-old company who was very you know, like, you know, static in selling to a very you know, known customer base to get that type of new interest and new buyers coming in at the top end of the funnel is absolutely you know, critical to us. And I'm so proud of our team and be able to do those type of things. That's amazing. Just the, the time to close and then the number of new visitors. I mean, I, what I'm envisioning too is just this, to make this transformation in almost a self serve model in the cloud environment. I know that's not entirely accurate, but there has to be just ungodly amount of like education and materials availability of, of information such that people can understand these solutions. And and you're not selling soap, you know, like you're, you're selling complex things with two highly educated people. In a cloud world, you know, well, thank you first. <laughs> I don't want to oversimplify, but you know, if you think about it in a cloud world, People don't buy cloud storage first. You know, they buy the compute services first, and storage kind of like basically comes second. So, kind of like you know, where we have the advantage is that we can focus very clearly on given kind of like cohorts of Microsoft Azure customers or Google Cloud Services customers or AWS customers based on the industry or the application types that they're moving to the cloud. We know where to go hunting, and we know what information to present them to build that kind of like wow moment where they think I really need those NetApp services and all they have to do is basically click a button within those cloud service providers portals or marketplaces and they're buying our services so it, to me it's really kind of a question of kind of like you know, do you know who you're going after do you know what application type of characteristics we should be go hunting for industry groups and you know staying very very true to that and then the selling process becomes very very simple and the, you're right the you know the ai bots that we use that present information to people and ask the next questions are so much a part of our selling process now which is driving uh, driving the efficiency improvements that we see yeah well what you discussed actually, um, we've even in the consumer world with some guests I've been on, I, I referenced this book of how brands grow by um, this guy, Byron Sharp. And to listen to you talk just now, I mean, you highlighted category entry points, right? Like I'm selecting my, my data, my computing environment. And then you highlighted your, in essence, what he calls uh, physical availability, being right there at the moment where they can purchase. So exactly. I fully subscribe to the concepts in that book. And we set out two years ago to create a category, basically. We didn't set out to, you know, create a category of one of NetApp, but to really define what enterprise class cloud storage services should look like. And and I firmly believe in that. I mean, my job is to define that category, to elevate that category. And I know that when potential customers are looking for enterprise class cloud storage solutions, they're going to find us. And my job is to make sure that we deliver a compelling value proposition to them as quickly as possible, give them access to our services as quickly as possible so they can try them and to make it as easy as possible for them to buy those services through the marketplaces and portals of the cloud service providers where you know they already have accounts and subscriptions. And that's paying off. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you've been at NetApp, I, th I think, with the acquisition right around four years, roughly. And you've been driving, obviously, tons of change. And then this year, 2020 comes and smacks everyone in the face with a pandemic, right? How have you been leading through change given what's going on in the last six months? 
It, it has been. I mean, what a crazy year. I mean, it just gets, keeps getting crazier and crazier, right? But to me, kind of like, you know, one of the key things for me is to, to really make sure that marketing organization are thinking through what our sellers are going through, right? Whether they are customer service, the type of teams or field selling or inside selling, right? But their life has become incredibly more difficult. And we've done a ton over the last six months really to kind of like, you know, expose all of the things that we see in our audiences, all of those propensity models, kind of like uh, the audience stats. So kind of like it gives the selling teams confidence that there is kind of like, you know, that there is momentum building for them in their pipelines. And that's been so important. And before, kind of like, you know, if I'd gone out to a selling team and tried to tell them how to interpret uh, web traffic data and content consumption data, they'll say, yeah, 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 give me my lead. But uh, now they're so much more interested in that and so much more engaged with that. And really using that opportunity to help sales and marketing have a better relationship has really been key. And then from my own teams, there's about 450 people in the in the marketing teams and they're pretty uh, much spread all around the world. And we've had to do some things that are really kind of like helping them keep engaged, keep creative. Uh, we do a whole bunch more kind of like just meet up type of things to keep uh, kind of like sense of community, sense of winning attitude. We've brought a ton of fun into some of those meetups. We do magicians and petting zoos and all kinds of kind of crazy stuff. And people have really kind of like you know, enjoyed it. And then I try and make sure that we make space every week for for people to actually get creative and do thinking so we have zoom out times we have uh, no meeting fridays we have quarterly wellness days and to me it's about kind of like trying to get away from the tendency that everyone's sitting at home available in front of their computer screens and just trying to avoid that kind of like you know zoom type of fatigue so we've made a bunch of changes and so far the team have you know been really productive and really creative uh, over the last six months we designed developed implemented a completely new brand platform a visual identity system and all of that has been done while people have been kind of like you know in isolation working at home and i'm so proud of what they've been able to do i love those ideas the, the in particular the petting zoo yeah, <laughs> told me that we were going to do a virtual petting zoo i was kind of like are you crazy i know right? yeah. there's a moment when the hedgehog attacked the handler and right. <laughs> 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 like it's legendary now <laughs> yeah i had the same thought it's uh growing up in the south in nascar is a big thing right and i think people will just watch nascar races to wait for the wreck right yeah. Like, yeah. you know like, that like because if, if you if you think about it just right driving around a track you turn left turn left turn left and it, you know i think everyone's just waiting for the wreck so hopefully no 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 pet handlers got mauled or, <laughs> well cool no, that's that's awesome and the, the you know the point you made too about the being able to step away and think I can wholeheartedly um, sympathize with the Zoom fatigue of you know sun up sun up to sundown. <laughs> it feels like. Well, um, I do want to switch gears. We we like to get to know the folks behind the the microphone as well. And my favorite question, frankly, to ask is: Is there been an experience of your past that makes up who you are today? The experience of my past, I mean, kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm completely dyslexic, um, and a as a kid, kind of like. Um, uh, going through school, kind of like it wasn't 
something that was basically accommodated very well when I was at school and uh, you know failing exam after exam after exam is the experience that I'm like you know, really has defined me and just the I'm like you know, the extra level of work that I had to go to to get through exams not because I was stupid it's just because it was so impossible to come like you know a read and write exam papers in the time frames that were given and thankfully you know, like when I got to about 16 I had a headmaster of a school I was going to recognize this and made some special compensations but to me come like you know that experience is one that's been absolutely defining for me and the need to kind of like you know just never give up and keep working because you're not stupid you just have this crazy kind of like inability to digest things in ways that other people do that's you know, always been a very defining part of me yeah no i thanks for sharing that i mean i know there's i don't know the percentage but i know it's a pretty high percentage of people that suffer from dyslexia and to your point you just learn differently like, you know, it's, it's not that, it's not that, to your point, it, there's no way, no correlation whatsoever to intelligence. It's in your case, I'll use you as, as an example, put you up on the pedestal with extra hard work, the intelligence will come through in other ways, right? Like, so thanks for sharing that. I'm sure there's some listeners out there that might find that helpful. Yeah. And, and that's a cause that is very kind of like a you know, key to me right now, kind of like a, just the way that we help kids with learning difficulties be successful it's you know it's so, so key um, awesome well if you were trying to give advice to your younger self um what would that advice be it's kind of like along the same thing as you know, right you're not stupid be confident kind of like you know, when you have a learning difficulty kind of like you get kind of like you know tend to be labeled as stupid and it's got i wasn't you know, i wasn't stupid but when you're told 10 times a day you're stupid you kind of like tend to lose a little confidence i'll just slap myself around face and say you're not stupid go kind of like uh, speak up go kind of like have a voice kind of like that and then uh, that would it's quite simple i'll just you know tell myself to have a ton more confidence yeah no it makes sense and for me it makes me think like if you feel like you're stupid maybe evaluate the system in which you're <laughs> you're, yeah, exactly. you're in right like maybe the system's broken not you <laughs> exactly which uh, it can be so kind of like overwhelming for kids with learning difficulties to have that level of confidence that they can be successful and do whatever they want to do. Well, and I think in a you know in a world where I'm sure it's the case at NetApp, it's most corporate America today. There's an intense focus on diversity and inclusion practices. I mean, this is, it extends to how people think, right? Like how how they think, how they process information, and uh, being thinking about the systems we're creating and, and are they for all people? Yep. Yes, so true. Well, a um, couple more questions. This one is kind of a silly one, but I, I like asking it. Is that has there been an a impactful purchase of a hundred dollars or less, say, in the last year? Yeah, it's sitting right here on my desk in front of me. It's a little gizmo that I bought, which is like a tripod with a clip for an iPhone and then a light box and a professional microphone on it, and, and it allows me to produce kind of four K HD video. It's so simply, and we've switched so much to video over the last six months. You know, I typically am recording now a bunch of videos which are used in communications internally and externally. People will say, wow, how is your video quality so good? You must be a marketing guy. You must have set up a studio at home. And no, it's just this little, kind of, I think it was like thirty nine ninety nine on Amazon, and it's so, so good. <laughs> <laughs> 
And when you're done being a CMO, you can go be an influencer on Instagram. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) It's been amazing how many people have mentioned some sort of gadget like that, right? Like a a light that projects light on you. So you you look a little better in your Zoom calls to uh, microphones and headsets. Yeah, exactly. So I think perhaps didn't realize how important the quality of video and sound is when you're remote and very... It really does make a difference, and so many people comment on it. And it's just an iPhone with a 30 buck accessory, it makes it amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, two last marketing ish questions for you. Are there any brands or companies or causes that you follow you think other people should be taking notice of? Yeah, I mean, it causes kind of like I, you know, I, I was um, introduced a few weeks ago to Dolly Parton's imagination library course you know a donation of books to kids and it came up because of some work that we're doing on our own foundation around data exploring uh, data explorers which is about data literacy for kids and uh, somebody introduced me to the Dolly Parton Foundation and I love what that foundation is doing of just you know making literature accessible to children around the world and I think that's a, a an admirable Course. That's a great one. Yeah, I, I had no idea that, that, the, that uh, Dolly Parton had been doing this since 1995 and has uh, donated, I think it's over 145 million books to kids around the world. And I think that's happened and certainly something that I'll be supporting. And, and then brands, you know, right now, I think if I think about you know, the last six months, there are a couple of brands which have um, been really important to me. One is Peloton and uh, yeah, I was a very early Peloton adopter, and when I first got my uh, first Peloton bike, you know, the average class would have maybe there were forty people in it. It was a big class. The instructors basically knew the class participants by name, and I took a class this morning, and there were eighteen thousand people live on it. And oh, <laughs> that's happened over six months. And the way that they have built the community and kind of like you know used platform as really a community platform and when needed to kind of like give a voice to meet you know kind of like to social issues it's been remarkable to watch and uh, full of admiration for what the team there have done over the last six months i think that's amazing yeah that is the definition of scale from 40 to eighteen thousand. <laughs> that's crazy well um last question for you what do you feel like is the either biggest opportunity or uh largest threat that marketers are facing today i think they're kind of one and the same it's kind of like you know what i keep telling my teams you know in marketing i'm like typically uh think b2b or b2c like uh, uh, and usually thought of two very different things i think like they're all one and the same and what we're actually doing is selling to people i call it business to humans and i try and teach my teams that we are not selling to companies we're selling to people and in our world now the type of people we sell to has become much more diverse from you know developers in cloud native companies versus storage architects in some of the biggest data centers in the world you know they're very different people but they're still people and you have to figure out what motivates them what their interests are and talk to them and go like you gotta stop this kind of like you know marketing nonsense of like just preaching about technology and speak to people and you know, our latest campaigns kind of like uh, feature baking and home workout and, and child 
I'm like, and everyone told me we were crazy that I'm like, you know, how can you, you lead a campaign which starts off, we can't make your kids get along, but we can make your data center and cloud storage work perfectly together. I'm like, you know, what's kids getting along to do? But I tell you, kind of, people love it because you're talking to them. And uh, we were looking at some stats this week and, you know, just on uh, Twitter spend, and we're seeing a 17% click-through rate on those kind of like human type of messages versus, you know, less than 1% that we would typically see on technology-based advertising. And to me, that just says, you know, it's our biggest opportunity. Talk to humans. Our biggest threat is you don't talk to humans. You can do the same old technology drivel you've been doing for the last 20 years. So answer. I love the answer. And you're so true. I think as marketers and just people in business, right, you start to, you can get wrapped up in your own category. Just preaching about what you do, but like people aren't interested generally. (laughs) Right. Most people don't care about what you do. Exactly. Yeah. But they care about their lives. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So that's great. Well, James, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed the conversation. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.